Hey, welcome back to another episode of The Russians. Hello. I'm I'm host one and <laughs> you're Russian one and I'm Russian, Russian one, two. Russian two, yeah. <laughs> and we have actually a kind of an, a, a Russian three, an honorary Russian three, um, joining us as a guest. Uh, say hello to uh, our, uh, for a good friend of ours, Mark Ames. Здравствуйте. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Wait, you actually, I remember once you were doing good, like uh, Boris Yeltsin, I think, uh, yeah, Warner. Yeah, I did it's a pretty impressive Yeltsin for the uh, for the for the episode, the series we did on um, the 1993 coup against Russia's mm-hmm. parliament. Yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> pretty good. Very believable. Very good. Yeah. Thank yeah. You. You should have gotten into comedy, actually, like stand-up. Yeah, I guess that would have been, folks. Yeah, I guess that would have been your other path if it I wasn't know, I journalism. I could have gone into comedy and then talked about like how I'm into meditation and you know crystals. Uh, <laughs> crystals. You would have went launch, also launched yeah. the podcast, but yeah, the, the things you would have been talking about self help and exactly a lot of and how to how to yeah. exercise and things like that. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much all comedians talk about on podcast are like, it's so ridiculous. Self care. Uh, yeah, like self care. It's all about self care. Mm-hmm. But they already have health care. What they need is self care. <laughs> <laughs> We're still trying to get health care. So. <laughs> so, um, like, yeah. The people who don't have health care haven't gotten to the self care part yet. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, thanks for, thanks for coming on. It's, you know, it gets, uh, you're a busy man. It's some hard to, uh, hard to pin down sometimes. It's, it's kids Two two kids at different ages is like, is most of it. Yeah. And, uh, they're both home now because we're supposedly have some big, you know, once in a generation storm and maybe somewhere it is, but everyone's freaking <laughs> out here too. Everything's closed down. And it's just like, I, I don't know, but just, People are just such pussies about weather. I, I this country, I guess, this country yeah. used to be able to take a snowstorm. Yeah, exactly. In my what day, happened to this country? What happened to society? Where has my country gone? <laughs> yeah, they used to be able to handle a snowstorm, and then Twitter bots came in, and then we got polarized, and now nobody can handle a snowstorm. Nobody's, af- yeah, everyone's afraid of the of the storm. You know, it's kind of similar in San Francisco too. Here, woke weather. Yeah. It's just that as soon as it rains, people fucking lose their minds. <laughs> If it rains, people are, you know, it's like, it's like, it's just, it's something about the way it is. It is actually disinformation, I think, because it's the media, <laughs> like, learn to, that, like, this is something yeah. that people care about. And so they ratchet up the fear factor for all of these, like, you know, basically, uh, natural weather, you know, uh, yeah. stories to make it, to just, to just, I guess they just drive eyeballs and, like, sell newspapers. It's kind of, it's kind of, it's kind of funny that this is the thing that they'd also do, you know? So it's yeah. not even, it's not, they actually like across the board. So even, even yeah, even the weather has become partisan now. You know, <laughs> yeah. It's like how a, you're doing small talk about the weather, weather. <laughs> and then there's you know, there's real weather. America <laughs> weather. Exactly. You want you you're, you want to you you want to you you want to return you know the real American weather. You know, like a lot of people. That's right. You want to you want to bring this country back to when people back to could. when a tornado was a tornado. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah. Um, all right. Well, thanks for, yeah, thanks for coming on. And, uh, you know, we, uh, you know, we kind of do this, um, kind of informal, uh, series once in a while that we call uh, immigrant deprogramming. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we talk to immigrants and, and basically kind of try to figure out about how they, you know, their, 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 their experience of dealing with acclimating and sort of fitting in into American society. Um, and or not fitting, or not <laughs> fitting in or hating yeah. it or, we don't really have too many, um, too many. I mean, we have some, some true patriots. I Has guess. Has anybody have, fit in? 
yet <laughs> you can talk to? Well, people made? fit in in their well, own way. Well, people who came yeah. as yeah. kids, yeah. some of yeah. them, yeah. Definitely. Some of them are like first generation, I guess. You know, they're are still, but had like pretty strong one, one, one. You know, one. We've had a couple of people that weren't actually immigrants themselves, but come from immigrant families, and they're obviously fit, they obviously fit in. But you know, mm-hmm. the 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 strong kind of Russian background still exerts an influence, and they and, hate American Empire somehow more than others. Yeah, <laughs> which is which is which is funny. Yeah, they hate America more than others. Yeah, um, but you know, but you're obviously you're uh, born and raised. In the yep. good old USA, Mark, right? That's right. I'm I'm the real thing. I am I am real America. I'm actually real uh, Bay Area. I'm third Bay generation. Area. You're like Bay Oki. Area. Wait, yeah. you're third Oki. generation? Third, third generation. generation. Wow. Yeah, I don't live there anymore because I can't afford it. But I I am third generation. Um, yeah, you've my, been there long enough. Let other people enjoy side. it. You know. <laughs> yeah, my grandmother <laughs> was born there on my mom's side, and my mom was born there. Oh wow, that's and, impressive! Uh, yeah. You should be you should be you rolling should deep real in property, estate. man. Yeah. What is going on? It's, like, you, uh, I, you know, you know. I, I remember once Michael McFall <laughs> saying to me, um, somehow we were in. It was back when we used to have sort of email, kind of back and forth, semi flame wars with each other, and um, and he's like, uh, you know, he, he sort of. Dr- made some reference to obviously I'd gotten rich in Russia. This is sort of like around the year 2000 or so, I think it was. And I was like, actually, you know, I get paid shit and I, I live like in a $600 a month apartment and rich know, rich so on and so funny. forth. Yeah. In Moscow. And he's like, basically then you're an idiot. <laughs> Everybody who, who was here in the nineties got rich, who was born. Like what's wrong that is with true. you? And I was, and it was like one time when I couldn't really have a good comeback to him. Like, yeah, but, you know, the exile is worth more than its weight in gold, um, <laughs> which is true to me then, but not now. <laughs> if, if Wait, you, but McFall said that because also, did he get some kind of yeah, wealth out of Russia? His, his friends was did? made there, yeah. And God knows he probably got wealthy, too. Yeah, maybe there's some investment opportunities. I'm sure. I'm <laughs> maybe he got like some little hedge fund, mm-hmm. little, you know. Exactly. Some yeah. uh, renaissance capital or I don't know. <laughs> he got or in it's... on the Sviaz Invest privatization. <laughs> <laughs> he got to come some vouchers on, on the cheap. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because I mean, look, you got to have some skin in the game if you're going to be promoting democracy <laughs> and and the market transformation. You know, That's as right. you got to have your skin and some skin in the game. And so it he decided easy. to it put his money. It was very easy for he... me to criticize while being poor and on the outside. <laughs> <laughs> Try criticizing it when you're corrupt and have a skin in the game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, no, it's it's that's you know it's funny because because that's kind of the. You know, we have some friends. We have we know some people who live in you know like the basically the area where you grew up, like Los Gatos, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, and they're like also it's an immigrant family that my my fa- my, my family's friends with, and they're really nice people, you know. And they're in, of course like a lot of people they're in real estate, you know, and they're on different sides, but like they're kind of married into, you know, through their through their daughters and stuff into like the local Los Gatos, you know, like. Uh, locals, you know, like the local mm-hmm. uh, Las Gatas community, and it's like it's like everyone is like just by by, by virtue of just living there, you know, mm-hmm. and you know buying some le- property once in a while, you know, like you, they're all they're all just people who stayed there got really real, well off, really yeah. rich, yeah, because yeah. Las Gatas became like a, a fancy suburb of Silicon Valley, so yeah. like it was it was a weird place when I was young. It was transitioning to that because it was like um, kind of a working class lumber people 
it, it, it was a weird mix. I don't know. I, I don't know how to explain it, but transforming already in the post-war era to like middle class and then upper middle class. So it had all three together still like when I was very, very young. We used to have Hell's Angels there a lot. And we used to have, um, I don't know, it was like, it, it was very hick. It was very like hick, but new money hick and sort of um, maybe new money working class. And then it transformed to, you know, kind of just increasingly suburban hell. But it still had that rough, mean hick side. Like there's um, there was a kid who was killed by other kids. There was a real, there was a, a, a River's Edge type of story. It was around the time I was in high school, I think. Um, and it's a dark, really, there's a dark, really dark sort of TV documentary made about this. Or was it 60 Minutes or or one of those crime documentaries? It was a kid at the high school who was killed by some other mean hit kids. Because there, there, was, there was always like a portion of the kids who were, were like mean hick kind of think much more NorCal woodsy almost types. And then mm-hmm. there were sort of more suburban preppy jocks and then upper middle class kids. Anyway, this kid was killed and nobody really cared much because he was a loser kid. No, nobody even in the community cared much. <laughs> his parents were screwed up. I think he was living with his grandparents at the time. Nobody really hunted him down. And the kid who killed him used to sh- go and show his body to people. And then and everybody got us new for years like they go out, get stoned or whatever, and go check out like his skeleton when it was just still there. In, in Wait, the and open the kid by... who killed him didn't get arrested or Eventually, anything? many years later, yes. So uh, when they finally crazy. got around to like oh, wow. caring about this guy. Yeah. Okay, wait. Then it should have prepared you for Russia <laughs> in the 90s. <laughs> I mean, uh, but it's not like that. You know, it's just, it's much more, it, it, it's just, I don't know how to explain it. Like, I, I think it, it, if people just have a view of Los Gatos today, I would imagine it's just, you know, an, a rich upper middle class Silicon Valley suburb. And it just wasn't that, you know, it, it, that whole area really changed a lot from Mm -hmm. well um, i think you know it's because i just think that people think of you know people think of california generally as like this kind of liberal stronghold or something where they just you know like a professional we're just all professionals and you know and um working in the the corporate world and are all just liberals but it's a very recent phenomenon that people are even that that that, uh, are even that way i mean i mean you can get glimpses of it still if you go up like yeah if you go up to north like real northern california you get glimpses of you know this kind of Almost like trailer trash, <laughs> California trailer trash yes. type of, um, and you and you actually see that like in, you, there's pockets of it still like in Santa in the Santa Cruz Mountains, exactly. With people kind of living in these, you know, in the woods with just like tarps and shit like that. Um, <laughs> really, actually, almost like it, it has like a third world vibe, you know, to it. Like you don't think of it as, but there's just people, and and, and also if you go up further, I mean, again, like I don't I guess this is where like you know John Dolan kind of you know grew up around, but if you go deeper into like the Delta, like you know. Like Pittsburgh, Antioch, like all those weird places, you know, like the, in the cuts that are, all, I think they're starting to gentrify, you know, f- yeah. they have been gentrifying now, you know, just because everything is so expensive that people are yeah. more further moving out. But there is like an, an old America, like almost like a red state America yep. that you'd, 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 you'd associate with, you know, like something like, yeah, like with the red, with oaky the red, kind of, yeah, oaky and, and yeah. working, yeah, and, and just to, that. That whole Redwood City culture. man was very working. I, I hugely doubt it is anymore. But when I was young, <laughs> no, it was very not. working class. No, I mean, yeah. particularly like of, of cities on the peninsula. 
yeah. Berlin game to some degree, but definitely Redwood City, and obviously not now. Yeah, Woodside was always fancy, but um, you know City it's funny because yeah. if you read the history of San Francisco, like you, you know these places like Berlin Game and, and Redwood City, they're always they were basically like that's where like the um, the kind of the the I don't know the gold rush aristocracy, I, I guess you'd call it. Like that's where they um, you know those were the suburbs that they lived in, and they essentially re- built to recreate a kind of. You know these English style manners where they could have lawns. Not Redwood and, City, maybe Hillsboro. Hillsboro, yeah, Hillsboro yeah. and, and Burlingame. I think was too. No, super rich. Yeah, yeah. Hillsboro yeah. is like a Beverly Hills kind of. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Redwood City was more like the 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 workers who you know worked in the shipping and did the building of this stuff. That was where they lived. It was very working class. Because you had the um, dogs down down just yeah. by the by the water, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, okay, wait. We're veering away from yeah, the just, <laughs> you know, but uh, just uh, yeah, exactly. That's that's fine. I mean, because we're talking about kind of, you know changing, immigrant experience, you know, real change. America. Yeah. yeah. One thing that's kind of interesting about Mark and why I think you know we want to do the want to do the de- immigrant deprogramming you know thing with him and, and not something else is because he's got almost like a kind of dual immigration right that you did in a way you you know you 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 moved to Russia when you were pretty young and you, you spent almost what like fifteen years there. Yeah, on and off, I was there for fourteen years. Fourteen years, uh, yeah. and of you those kind of fourteen years, probably a good, you know, eleven of those. But it was sort of back and forth. But yeah, eleven to twelve of those years, I was yeah. Of those fourteen years, you didn't really think that you would ever move permanently back to the states. You know, right? no, I didn't for a long time. But you know, I would say that towards the end, towards the very, very end, um, because things were changing so much in Russia. You know, there was, there were questions in my mind, like, you know, what next? And, and I just wasn't really sure what, you know, um, I mean, in yeah. a way the, the Russian government, the, you know, the Kremlin did a bit of a favor by forcing, <laughs> forcing the situation, shutting, you know, charging me and shutting me down and stuff. But like, um, I was starting to have doubts. It wasn't like I was dying to move back to America for sure, mm-hmm. but I, I was having doubts about like, you know, do you keep doing the same thing forever? Do you, do you do something different? How long are you going? You know, it was because Russia by 2008 was, it was just very, very different from, and, you know, and I was different, but definitely Russia was massively different. And so, um, I don't know. Sometimes we talk about that a little bit, right, Yasha? Like, yeah, yeah. No, of course, yeah. I mean, it it was different. Yeah, in in essence, it was like it was. It was an interesting time because you know it was when you know we we I worked the exile. We 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 were kind of colleagues at the time, and Russia was essentially really full really full of itself at that time. It didn't want exile anymore. It didn't want exile. It didn't really want Westerners anymore. No, and also making fun of them kind of in a way, right? It was getting its dignity back, basically. Yeah. And it was like the economy was really doing well. The ruble was was very strong. expensive. Um, Moscow was basically unaffordable. I mean, it was just, it was like... I mean, I remember like people would like being like being a foreigner was already kind of your, it means you're basically a loser, you know, because yes. you, you, you don't true. have the, I'm not but joking. But they figured like, it out. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, shit, they figured it out. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. And so it was time for Mark to move on. Yeah. <laughs> Somewhere else where they didn't know I was a loser. <laughs> yeah. No, not you. I'm talking about the guy, the people yeah. who just come there to get rich. No, but it, just, it also means you have no money. If it's like, you're just some, some kind of Pat, you know, or whatever you like, you you're, it means you don't have access to. I don't know. I just remember running into people at the club sometimes, and like, 
there was just this one girl. I'm trying to remember. Hey, loser. Was, it was basically it was they basically laughed at me when I when I they they found out that I was kind of from America or that I grew up there. They laughed at you. Yeah, I mean it was like it was like yeah it was just they mocked me for it. It was just it was. That's funny. In the way that you know, some like I don't know. There's somehow like in this kind of cruel and biting way that sometimes, um, <laughs> like you don't have a Russian car? women can disrespect. <laughs> exactly. Um, it was pretty. I was. I was pretty shocked. It was right. Yeah, right at t- t- towards the very end in 2008. Um, so, but but I mean, what, what's what's interesting to me is that you like didn't make any plans. You know, you weren't no. like when you went out to Russia and when you were living there for for the for the bulk of the time, cont- more or less continuously, right? Yeah. I mean, I know you went back to write your book and would go back, you know, for spells back to America, but um, your great book. No, uh, I didn't make a plan to move back, and I didn't have a plan of I'm going to do. You know, I'm going to do this amount of journalism and then move back and and then you like, know, parlay that into something. Kind of exactly, yeah. definitely did not have that plan. No. And I remember even even before I you I, I remember those in those years like you were on the fence, like you were thinking of maybe doing, it, but then at the same time you were thinking of maybe like even kind of staking you know even more on Russia. And I remember you were thinking about buying a car and things like that, which would <laughs> I was which was, you don't with what that? money? That's funny. I don't know. Well, because you had the job, you know, you kind of had the TV oh, yeah, thing yeah, going, yeah. and so like but even and, that didn't pay me enough money. No, but I think honest. you were. You, I remember you talking yeah. about it, which I, which which because it's like it's like because you're like you know kind of tired of always like taking these gypsy yeah, cabs everywhere. I always took yeah. Because well, and you had to like and you had to like way. you had to drive a lot because you had to you know it's like this new kind of TV job that you had required right, you to right. be a bit more mobile. I remember you talking about it, which would have oh, you know. I don't even remember that. <laughs> but I can imagine I did because um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, getting around Moscow uh, is exhausting. <laughs> but driving also, I I hated being in cars too because yes. you're always stuck in traffic. That's why I'm no. surprised I, I even thought of it. Um, but uh, um, yeah, just getting around Moscow is really it was it, you know it's obviously more exhausting to take subways and taxis. I mean, I, I would just usually do a combination of subways and taxis. Um, yeah, and it just getting from place, you know, the distances are so huge, and it's not yeah. like some cities like Paris or even New York where the subway stops everywhere you need to go. You know, you take a subway to get to like one chunk of the city of 14 million people, and then yeah. out there, then you try and find a gypsy cab, as they call them. Um, I, I, do they even have just it- anymore? Moscow is basically different. I mean, it's a lot more. Uh, I mean, in terms of just the ta- the taxi situation, basically those things don't really exist anymore. You know, it's uh, the all gypsy Yandex cabs. And so the it's Uber. all like you. You know, you. It's it, in that sense, it's become because it's always exhaust. It's also exhausting to catch those cabs because you're like catch one right, and you have to negotiate the price. And then, like you know, right. sometimes it's like you haggle, and then they like you know they like slam the yes. door in your face and like you know speed <laughs> off. Yeah, you know it was it, there's the stuff like that. Goes like spinning into your, you know, your pants. <laughs> exactly. Just, no, it's, just, and you're always yeah. on the side of the road, and like there's like you, you hand up, put out your hand, and like all these just like twenty different cars like just gun it for you, right? like <laughs> missiles or something, you know? Like yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, but it's it's gotten. A lot, I mean, the traffic I think has got is still pretty bad. Also, but. Sabanian, you know, the mayor of Moscow, yes. he um, yeah. actually, <laughs> hey, it's weird to say it, but yeah, he vastly improved the whole bus system and like mm. trams and all that. So it's they're like fancy and they really work and well. The, and you can see where they are. You can like yeah. see when the right. next one is coming. Oh, so that's cool. It, you can pay wow. with your phone. You know, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah, super you pay modern, with basically. <laughs> yeah. 
So it'd yeah. be worth taking those then. Yeah, because they were just such a pain in the ass then. No, not anymore. Yeah. And and they're actually yeah, the buses they connect the various inner like various neighborhoods within the center. I mean the center is and of course then there's like extra lines that were been opened up and stuff. Yeah. So the the situ- the, the transportation situation's gotten a lot better actually. Yeah. But actually I I forgot I forgot. I'm not sure I saw it, but do you know if your um that travel show, like the program, is it accessible somewhere in like archival? No idea. Is it they took it down, I have right? no it's... idea. None. Oh, no okay. Idea. So it's yeah. almost like you don't I'm have not access to it. I haven't looked or heard yeah. anything about it or heard anybody say anything. You're not right. getting royalty off that, but getting rich? God, kidding, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Because <laughs> it's interesting. It's, it's joke, almost yeah. like you did Anthony Bourdain, but throughout <laughs> yeah. Russia, right? Yeah, it, it was. I had some great experiences. I still talk about them. Like, I don't know, just the other day I was remembering somehow in Radio Warner, um, uh, I think John was talking about uh, some swarms of like flies that they was he was dealing with. I can't remember where in Italy or something. And it it just reminded me of this like horrific <laughs> episode. I went in when I uh, I went out with the with the you know Vakruk Sveta TV crew to um, uh, Usurisk, I think it was Usurisk in the Dalnivastok, way out in the in the you know far 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 east, and. Um, we went out in a rural area and I remember seeing like we went we went to some store on the way to wherever we were going. Uh, we were going out somewhere more rural and I saw these people walking around in these like netted sort of they were like hazmat suits, but netted instead of, you know, sealed. So like beekeeper suits type. type uh, almost. Yeah. And I was like, and I was like, what the hell is that all about? And they're like, oh, you know, we just we hate the. I can't remember if it was Kamari or um, I, I forget what the word for midges is. Um, like these uh, little blo- flies. Um, it's like the little, little biting little Little flies. biting flies, right? And swarms, okay. black clouds. And I was like, oh, what a wuss. You know, I can handle this. <laughs> and, uh, and then I go, we go out there and we're checking something out with some um, nature people describing something about nature. I can't remember. And these swarms start coming more in waves and waves and waves and it's getting worse and worse. And then I see like these swarms attack a dog, a big German shepherd, and it starts yelping. And the German shepherd keeps snapping and trying to get away. And it runs into like this, this brackish, you know, pond to get away from them and submerges itself. And it's just, it's like, it's like yelping in, in horror and pain as this cloud of, you know, they're getting into every hole, every, the nostrils, the mouth, the ears, the eyes. And then it started getting at me. And I was like, holy shit. I ran and I found like a log <laughs> cabin and like went in and closed the door, which is, it's, it was like Winnie the Pooh running from, you know, bees. But, um, but this, these were like clouds of little, um, b- little midges. And how the fuck does anyone like survive? Yeah. I don't know, man. I, so did you ever read, um, Varlam Shalomov. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, he talks about him as our because that was the only other place I'd heard about him, and I, I couldn't really yeah. understand what the hell he, you know, why flies would be that important to people out in the, in that area in Magadan or wherever he was, Varkuta and stuff, and um, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, it's pure nightmare, like real pure nightmare. But you know that was an interesting, t- interesting story. I did get to see a lot that I wouldn't have been able to afford without that TV show. Yeah, 
Yeah, no, it's. Yeah, you sell way more Russia than I. I know. <laughs> probably ever will. Russians. Yeah. <laughs> Russians know to stay away from places like that. I think. Yes. <laughs> Instinctually, <laughs> basically, uh, it's like uh, it's like. Um, do you feel like you were kind of I don't know I mean foreigners who really go native and kind of stay, they they sort of develop like um, I don't know I guess it is love but it's since it's such a different place not just Moscow because Moscow can be like parts of it way too close to I don't know Western civilization culturally but when you go like more where you went far east or just travel around you kind of see more of a Russian spirit did you really get enamored by it or well I was already you know really enamored by it when I first moved out um, because um I mean, I don't know, because it was just so interesting and cool and people were so, um, just so much more sort of open and things could happen there in a way they couldn't happen. Like you could, I don't know, have adventures and things could change day to day. Mm -hmm. Like it wasn't dreary, like you know, post Reagan Clinton America was. And, um, so in, in that sense, um, I mean, I was already in love with it and, and rooting for it and everything. But by the time I was doing the TV show, like I only did that TV show cause you know, I needed money to survive. Um, I mean, Exxon never paid much and, um, and, uh, you know, I, I was beyond that at that point, I think. I mean, like I, I probably by that point I was, in the phase of going through ups and downs that you go through when you're in Russia, you know, you go through moments of intense loving the place and intensely loathing the place at times. Mm -hmm. I don't know how common that is, but I, I, I was like that. I would say the last, the last, uh, I don't know, a few, some years. Um, like I think it's because I just got more used to it. You know, it wasn't as, it wasn't as much a novelty anymore. And going out to other places, I mean, some some of those places would make you love Russia more, and some of them would make you um, I don't know, would make you feel kind of hopeless and um, make you wonder what you're doing there. And um, like, you know, um, I, I guess it was sort of a mix. Um, Do you mean like the poverty, the alcoholism, the dreary, the the sort of yeah, the dreariness, and I mean you know, and the lack of change, and in this giant country, just sort of, um, I think a lot of that's changed by now. But you know, it took a while for after the wealth started to really get generated, and from what two mm thousand -hmm. on, it took a while for that to reach the regions. From what I understand, a lot of the regions really did um, experience like part some of that wealth. By like 2010 or so, mm -hmm. I was gone by then, and I was—I only traveled. I did the traveling. What I think in like 2005 and six, maybe or 2006 and seven, something like that. Um, so you know, I started to see some of it. Um, people are definitely cooler outside of Moscow. You know, that boom hadn't even really reached St. Petersburg. You know, by right. at that time, right. It reached some areas. Like um, I went up to uh, oh God. Um, uh, give me a second here. Let me look it up. And you can just it Something yes, like oil. Yes, thank you. Oil yes, yes, yes. Okay, I just would imagine because I yeah. I heard of it. Like I almost wanted to visit. It's like yes. what? It's booming. Yeah, <laughs> Because yeah, yeah. there's money. It was insane. No, going to Huntimanskisk blew me away. It was like um, 
it was like going to a, a wealthy Scandinavian town. It wasn't like, you know, going to, you know, I don't know, El Dorado or something like Golden mm-hmm. Riches, but it was like a wealthy Scandinavian town. Everything was new. Everything was, you know, clean and nice. And, um, it was just, it was weird. It did, it had none of that sort of decayed Soviet with, with some new stroika here and there sort of thing that you get in a lot of the regions. Right. Uh, it was like completely rebuilt or something, but that was, you know, that's where all the oil at that time was coming right out of there. Mm-hmm. It was like a Yukos town, I think. Now, Ross. Yeah. It's like, um, uh, like, uh, like, I guess what you'd like compared to like, I don't know, like a Google, like, uh, I guess because the workers there are treated really well and there's, yeah. and there's wealth there. So like, it's like what, like the, the I don't know who gets treated so well in America, like Google, yeah. Google employees or something. Yeah. 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 yeah it's Palo Alto. Palo Alto. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it was, it, there were I'm trying to remember. I mean, there, no, there, there really weren't too many places like that but we went you know i went as far east as vladivostok i went to solovki islands um uh you know and would would you say like some of the stuff i mean i just again obviously just read about it or watched some videos it looks like things probably haven't changed in like 200 years in some of the places you know just i wouldn't say 200 years i say I'd say more like, you know, 30 or 40 years hadn't changed much. Yeah. Cause there was just the Soviet, you mean I the Soviet stuff was just Yeah, right. Cause there are Soviet yeah. buildings, right? Yeah. And, and, and it just felt like probably the pace was very similar and there was just sort of decay, you know, and you could tell that things were picking up again. Cause I went out to some of these places. I worked for like two years for this, um, uh, this very wealthy Indian family that was, I don't know. It's basically like an investment fund. And, uh, we went out to a lot of the provinces in the nineties as they were trying to buy up like mostly, um, beer factories, uh, and some other stuff. And man, it was, I mean, those places were really a disaster then. I mean, it was, it was really bad. The decay was intense and the alcoholism and the, they're just, they're really, it's just grim as hell. And, um, it definitely wasn't like that even by mm-hmm. like 2005 and six, but, um, yeah. but yeah, as a general rule though, people are definitely better outside of Moscow, you know, and that would, and that, in that sense, like it would kind of make you, you know, love the place more. Um, yeah. Well, Moscow the people in Moscow are some of the, yeah, I mean, <laughs> attract basically the worst people of the country. I mean, I mean the Moscowites then, themselves, right? the Moscowites themselves are snobs. Snob. No, but Moscowites yeah. themselves frequently are slackers. Slackers, That's but people snobs. Yeah. Just like, yeah, they're slackers and snobs at the same time. I know it's like an incredibly entitled and yes. look down on everybody, but don't do anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then the people who come from the outside uh, are full of ambition, and but also can exactly. be horrible too. And, but also, yeah, yeah right. full of uh, desire of status and desire, um, yeah. and uh, are in are in pursuit of status and things like that. It's like right. yeah. like you, uh, Tracy Flickovnas. Yes, <laughs> you know? they're all in Moscow. It's yeah. weird. So it's which it it yeah, it's uh, yeah, it makes but then, sense. I guess there are still. I mean, now it's with the war, it's hard, but like there's still some bohemian types in Moscow and St. Petersburg yeah. who kind of might be not like snobbish. Or- no, there's great people everywhere. Um, but the, uh, and including Moscow, I mean, I, you know, all my best friends were in Moscow and, um, but they're just uh, an overwhelming number of the most horrible people are in Moscow and yeah. they really made themselves front and center, 
especially as the first Putin era went on, you know, in a very apolitical way. Like, um, I mean, you know, I don't have to tell you, Yasha, how that was like, you know, you saw that too. It was just, um, they just, uh, they made it their town and, and their world and they didn't, you know. Yeah. They, they, well, they it's the town with all perfectly. the Maybacks, you know. Yeah. It's so weird. To I mean, see it's kind of, it's still that. It's still, it hasn't really, I mean, they just, it's, it hasn't really changed in that sense. I but think. it's funny because you say, Mark, that like basically you think, I mean, slightly the wealth started, um, like trickling down into like provinces with the Putin rule, but not because of Putin, kind of because I guess the oil prices or whatnot from 2000 on, 2000 year and on. But, but actually like, when I would read about what's going on in Russia, even right before the war, I mean, in the provinces, people still on average make, I don't know, 200, $300, like dollars. Yeah. That's, that would be salary. So actually, I'm not sure it's, um, it's like a myth a bit of the Putin stability that it truly like, um, well, here's what I would say. I think it's not true. Uh, so here's what I would say. I mean, I mean, it was really destitute in the nineties. Mm-hmm. Real, I mean, people were like doing subsistence farming to survive. There was no cash. There was a, there were periods of time workers weren't getting paid money and they would still go to their jobs because what else are they going to do? That or drink and a lot did drink and die in droves. And they, and the only way they could get paid at some point was in like company script. Yeah. Which could then be traded in for whatever the company was able to barter, which wasn't much. And the company, of course, was all about screwing the people. I mean, it was, it was, so fucked up it was so bad and nothing was you know roads there was no repaving of a road or you know or a paint job Mm -hmm. on the side of a building like there was nothing it was insane and then you started to see a little bit of improvement so i'm not i'm not saying people i don't think people in the provinces it depends which province but you know outside of let's say five to ten metropolitan areas yeah, people were not lifted up anywhere to the near the level of Moscovites, but they were lifted up like things were a lot better than they were in the 90s. Definitely, because from what I, I hear and I saw and I saw different people talk about this, like finally you actually had paved roads. You had, I don't know, new bridges put in like, like basically infrastructure got better. New buildings put up. I don't know. New stores. So like some things did get better better but it was still a lot worse and and i think you know the fact that um uh, I, I mean that that disparity is still there in a huge way and and that's those people now are like putin's base i mean it's kind of ironic isn't it that the people who got kind of richest off the putin era which is muscovites mm-hmm. and you know petersburgers and maybe a few other big city slickers are the ones who have been most against him really since 2012 <laughs> And the people who are kind of left resentful behind, those are his, that's who he, you know, morphed into his new big base, like in the last 10 years. As far as right. I right. But it just rhetorically, he just turned to them without yeah. actually <laughs> changing their lives. Yeah. Well, he's doing the, them, right? It's very like, it's very Republican stuff. thing where yeah. it's culture war stuff. Yeah. Cause those people resent the, the, the wealthy city slickers. And, um, and Putin has played up. He's, he's fed them a lot of red meat, jailing them, beating them, mm-hmm. mocking right. them, attacking their values. And, you know, that's better than nothing. 
And you also play up the foreign threat and like blame everything yes. on, you know, foreign enemy, blame everything on America and then the sort of like degenerate culture. And, and, and that you're the protector for, you know, of, of Russia from this degenerate culture that wants to come in and basically cut their, you know, turn their boys into girls and, you know, turn right. their girls into boys and, and if you're and not have a everyone have gay sex, you know, it's, yeah. If you're not like an upper, upper class professional keyed into the global community. Like yeah. you don't, you don't, you don't benefit from any of that foreign stuff really no um and uh and it makes you resentful and uh so yeah it's, it's very nixon southern strategy thing that he did so yeah yeah it's not of an original they just took it from americans <laughs> no i mean it's it, when you watch the russian television stuff it's like it, it really is it's just so shocking how like just it's it's like a russified version of fox news yeah. it's it, uh of tucker carlson it's like a. It's kind of shocking, yeah. It's like even the the, the prompts are the same, you know. It's like, <laughs> but uh, you know, it's weird. Yeah. I, I think yeah. it goes back and forth because when I was there in the nineties, um, it used to weird me out a lot that uh, news that there were so many news programs which were just these babbling figures who just talked and talked about events and riffed and riffed, you know, and then they developed their audiences and I, I mean, you know serious news politics stuff not so serious and it was obvious why they did it because it was cheaper and you it was cheap it was a cheaper way of doing news and getting ratings and um and i i just i used to think like this is such a sign of you know a fucked up um political culture that they have so little i mean there was some news uh, there was like mtv did some real reporting on tv and then there was like state news, but so much of what was politics and news were just talk shows mm-hmm. with, um, you know, with, uh, star presenters or something. And that's what America became later. Yeah. Also because the money it makes it just makes it's like reality wise. TV almost, right? It's like, uh, yeah. well, it's, it's cheaper. Yeah. To do that. It's yeah. cheaper. Also, it's much cheaper than going out and like yeah. reporting and breaking stories. And people are more attracted to it because people get behind a personality more than you know, than the story uh, as a general rule. And, but it's just so funny, like MSNBC and CNN, which started off, you know, as like they were supposed to be doing journalism. Um, I mean, they just became that. They became slicker versions of what the Russians were doing. And then Russia became a slicker version of what it was doing and an imi- imitation of what the Americans were doing. Yeah. So it was sort of like, it's I don't know. Very warped. That, yeah, <laughs> it's like, yeah, well, it's, you know, it's, it's. Yeah, but you know, Russia, I don't, you know way more about it, but like, it just feels that Russia never had like a strong, um, tradition of journalism the way America had because, um, you know, uh, whatever constitution, democracy or whatnot, at least on paper in America. Yeah. So Russia didn't have it. Russia had like some brave people, maybe like here and there who would, who would do journalism or even like back in the day, I'm thinking about like writers like Radishev, right? The, um, what is it? The, uh, what do you call it from in English? Yeah. Who would um, basically do a version of a journalism and write about what's like going on in the country and then they'll be jailed and that's it. <laughs> right. right. I mean, well, obviously they didn't have, yeah, the same history of it, but like I can say that Russian journalism, uh, from when I was there and learning Russian, you know, up through the early 2000s was pretty amazing. Um, mm. I mean, uh, definitely up through like the late nineties was insane, way more gutsy, way more informative, very, you know, corrupted and so on. But like it was, it was actually part of, I think the general chaos 
an assault on the senses mm -hmm. that made people want somebody like Putin and to bring, you know, like order, stability, and just to have less um, uh, chaos on the television, less chaotic news. I mean, the the ground was set for somebody like Putin to come in. I think people right. people learned to eventually hate journalists, like really hate them by the end of the nineties. I think journalists were heroes in the beginning of the nineties in Russia, mm -hmm. and they were just hated. And they were, and a lot of them really were hateful because. They'd sold out to oligarchs, to competing oligarchs, and then they would just basically, you know, rape people's brains every night to yeah. try to advance their oligarchs' interests by destroying this person or that person. Yeah. And so that an oligarch could get rid of a chinovnik who works for a different oligarch. And then, you know, uh, I don't know, from my point of view, though, as a journalist, I loved it. But from the population's yeah. point of view, it was absolutely traumatic. Yeah. Because I mean, because only I mean, like you know, only real uh, small you know group of people, but basically kind of crazy people, you know, um, which includes you know journalists and sort of news hounds and you know kind of news addicts are really into this stuff because it's yeah, it's like because it's you just want you know you, you just want to live your life more or less. You don't want to be you know you don't want to have your like you know like your reality undermined constantly and like yes. you know the, the the fact that like everyone is corrupt everyone is horrible mm -hmm. you know look at this thing that's going on there look at this horrible thing it's like it's a, people just want to shut it off and you know mm -hmm. even i you know i get it's not that healthy with, i mean it's not healthy and you know it's supposed yeah, to be healthy no, but not. i don't think it really is i saw and, how no and i get that sometimes it's like you yeah. know people are like oh god you're you know again like you were telling me that even this is horrible that this is horrible that there's just nothing i can like appreciate and like you know enjoy enjoy naively naively enjoy it's yeah. so it's almost there's like a kind of a there's a you know the only people that get off on that stuff are kind of sick um sick you know journalists yeah journalists are <laughs> sickos yeah they yeah. are and, no but and, then the other ones the, the the ones mark says that russian people would hate yes, they're then, just sell out exactly and then you have that as well which and is, they're just i guess love seeing their face on tv well, but, or something yeah. like that but you know they, look some this is something we've talked about i think sometimes yasha i mean look um Journalism, like it, it's, it's been turned into, I don't know, free, free press and stuff has been kind of turned into its own like moral good, yes. um, divorced from any like, uh, concrete reason why it's good. It's supposed to, it just exist as a moral good, like love thy neighbor or something. But, but if, if it doesn't, bring a better world if it doesn't improve people's lives i mean yeah. the reason why it's supposed to have become a moral good or whatever a good value is because it's supposed to improve your lives it's supposed yeah. to make right. for a better society exactly. and what people saw was and journalism was deeply a big part of this was that everything got worse and worse in the 90s and so yeah. you know democracy such as it was did not bring a better life journalism like free the freer the journalism like the the worse people's lives got and in like the first 10 years of putinism people's most people's lives got better and that was along with a tight you know a lessening of democracy and um a clamp down on the free press and you know whether or not like there's a cause effect there in people's minds at that mm -hmm. time i i think there was at that time and um you know, I got to be honest, the same, I mean, I saw this as a kid here. The seventies was, I mean, seventies had a big formative influence on me that I could never really shake for better or for worse. And, um, you know, that was a time when it was like, uh, 
in a smaller version, but it was a very traumatic time for Americans because it just seemed like every week or every month or something, some new big expose was coming out about how corrupt, you know, institutions were about, you know, spying programs, about America murdering, killing, all these just bad things over and over, shocker after shocker. And people yeah. got sick of it. So Reagan, when he ran for president in 80 and 81, he ran against the press. I mean, he ran against the liberal press, the liberal yeah. media. That's everyone's been copying it since then. And, and it, it doesn't, it doesn't have quite the same effect that it did then. But back then there was such a backlash because people's lives were not better at the end of the seventies. They didn't feel that way anyway. Yeah. Uh, than they were at the beginning of the seventies. And, um, so people were, there were, Enough people, not you know, not as much in the press. The press still kind of fought for a while up through the Re later Reagan era. Parts of even the mainstream press fought it for a while, but they didn't have much support out in the public. You know, it was like a minority supported him, and so you wound up getting this compliant press that talked about how great everything is in America. Flags, Reagan smiling. He's the great. You know, here's this guy with Alzheimer's is the great communicator. <laughs> and everything was turned upside down, and people just wanted happy stories, and they got them. <laughs> that's pretty funny it's sort of like it's funny we have our own little liberal you know great communicator president you know now but uh, joe biden um I mean, not, not, not that communicator come on man you know, <laughs> corn pop um. <laughs> he was a bad dude <laughs> corn pop was one bad dude bad dude <laughs> he had hair on his legs <laughs> <laughs> That is a funny show. Not, not, yeah. not hair, yeah. You know. Uh, yeah, so anyway. Um. No, yeah, well, it's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, I actually think it's kind of a good segue to come in because, you know, when you, like, I don't know, coming back, I know that it was a pretty big culture shock for you when you, when you, you know, finally moved back to America. Yeah. And like, you know, it was just a culture shock, but things, everything kind of went the opposite way that you thought they would basically, you know, I mean, I wonder like, what was the, when you finally came back to the States, States, like what was the thing that after being away for so long and not living in, you know, this culture for so long, um, what was the main thing that I think kind of surprised you or, um, or shocked you in some way? Um, well, I would just say that I uh, was in a ambient state of panic and like low grade terror or something. I don't like I I um I sort of you know I knew I was having a hard time readjusting and fitting in, but I didn't know how to deal with it, you know. And and I just thought it would sort of work itself out. Um. And, uh, it was just, it was everything. I don't know. It was, it was, it, it was being immersed in this culture and it's, um, it's a, it's a scary and, uh, not scary because, you know, it's not scary in the Russian way where you think you could get killed or jailed or something dramatic happening scary in the complete opposite way that you could just you know um disappear not uh, matter at all yeah. yeah be ignored yeah yeah and and that right. the things you need to do to not disappear are just so horrible horrible like so against 
I don't know. I mean, it's uh, probably what people used to fear about communists, uh, social human engineering. It's kind of like what <laughs> I feel like you face coming back here. And um, it was a lot more clear to me when I came back than it was when I left. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's a, it's a cold, it's a cold, it's a cold smug place that smiles a lot and laughs at, at its own jokes and um like yeah, psychopathic kind of right yeah yeah because and, yeah because you weren't like i mean the thing is you know there's like context there it's not you were just you know, there's a particular context in the sense that you know you were you were, you were you know you uh, are coming back and trying to enter basically the kind of the mainstream of american journalism right or or, or, or well like you know, kind of like, the, uh, to, all, to like make the a living left, yeah like yeah. but but still yeah. kind of to be you know um you're trying to enter american journalism you know yeah. and trying to trying to work here basically is, is and that that's what the the kind of the context was right it was tough well you know one of the toughest things that so um yeah i mean i was working for the nation when i first came back and the nation, it's like as tough uh, when you do articles there. A lot of, a lot of them, it's, it's notorious or, you know, has a reputation well-deserved that, uh, you know, doing your article from start to finish is pretty much almost like doing an academic article because you have to go through, you have to jump through so many hoops, make sure every T is properly crossed and I is dotted and, and it's not just it's not just making sure your facts are straight, but it's making sure that you do it in a way that aligns with what you know what their needs are. And that's fine. That's who they are, and they've you know they've come under attack a lot over the years because um, they they were at least sort of the standard bearer for um, the East Coast left, I guess you'd say. And um, but it was just hard for me because all of my journalism that I did, everything that I, I'd freelanced before while working for the exile for different magazines, including the nation, but I was my own boss and I had learned to be, you know, my own editor for better and for worse and, and how to work with other people who we all kind of knew how to edit each other, you and I and John and others that we had worked with. And I was working with people who edit, with a, just a vastly different mindset and vastly different experience. And, um, you know, it was duller. I mean, it was, it was just duller too. And, and very cautious and careful and, um, uh, and and very 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 I mean from what I even, you know remember obviously doing this it's like everyone it's about almost the tone mattered more than the content yes, right yes. the tone so if it was which is really the tone hard to get was that like tone. a thing yeah, yeah. it's hard to fake that tone yeah and it's yeah. and it, like a tone of I don't even know like of some kind of respect and neutrality or something yes, of, yes. of 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 being actually not really caring of being that above much. the fray yes yeah that's a really weird like if one thing we were always the opposite of. <laughs> was that pose that journalists love in this country, the, you know, the smugness. I mean, <laughs> and all journalists, like uh, East Coast journalists would really like that, whether it's, you know, mainstream or, um, you know, left wing or like, uh, what was that uh, site that, you know, the the gossip site that was a really oh, big Gawker. deal. Gawker, yeah. Like everybody's always had that that pose of being above everything and above everybody and looking down. Yeah. And it's just... We were always looking, you know, from below up and sh screaming and shrieking, firing off our shots and then 
closing our pothole again, you know, so that they couldn't hit back. But like, I don't know. They're just so high school to me. Um, it, it's so, it's just so gross and disingenuous and like not fun. And if, if all you want to do is show that you're sort of disinterested and, you know, you happen to happen upon this story and you're, you're mildly disgusted or something. Um, but spy kind of like if you, uh, I mean, I, I learned about spy much later, but yeah. spy, okay, was kind of fun, um, but it seemed like still had everything you described, like, right? Even if they're really tackling some corrupt. Well, the um, difference is they did, but the difference with spy is, is they would get really, yeah, they, they were very snotty and bitchy in that way. I mean, now that I read it, I read it a bit differently. When they came mm-hmm. out, there was just nothing like it, certainly in a glossy. Like it, it was, but they were just going after people hard and getting really petty and, and just going and going, <laughs> going after them. Like Trump was one of their big yeah, right. you know, targets <laughs> and they would find every way to, you know, to mock them and go after them. And so even if their tone would be, um, like kind of highbrow, Mm-hmm. You know, overly educated prep schoolers from the East Coast or something. They're, they're, what they, what they would do is just, they were just, um, um, I, I don't know. They were, I guess pretty, they didn't, they didn't show respect for their, for the targets, right? Like, not. cause that's kind of what you have to yes. do almost in, in yes. mainstream journalism. You have to like respect the person yeah. you're trying to destroy. Yeah. Why is that? Like, I, I'll give you an example. Um, I was doing some media criticism and I was supposed to do, uh, I was asked to do uh, media criticism on um, Jamie Kerchick, you know, that this neocon, this like, he was a big deal then. He's been kind of nobody since then. He was, he was really like one of the most ridiculous. And it, it was every time he published something, he was a hardcore neocon, hardcore. And a lot of what he would do is he would just go after Bush's enemies, you know, liberals of any kind and, and get really nasty and try and destroy people. And this, he was one of those, he was like a, you know, a second tier, he was like a attack dog for the Bill Crystal crowd. And so I was, I was asked to do, to do this. And so I really, you know, I printed out all his articles, looked at it. He was a really gross, just disgusting dude. Um, but he was, uh, nurtured, especially by the new Republic, which, um, was run by this neocon also at the time. Um, So he had the, some kind of like the new Republic had this kind of center center left uh, bona fides for whatever reason, because of its, I don't know, decades earlier. Anyway, so I went through it and I, and I wrote this sort of takedown of him that I thought was pretty good. And as much more, although it wasn't tonally in my exile style, it was certainly based on how we did takedowns in the exile. Like you really go deep on people, find out what's, what's, you know, what's wrong with them and find their examples of it and, and make it entertaining. And, um, and I put a lot of work into it. And then the comments I got back was basically the problem here is you take them too serious. You pay too much attention to them and take them too seriously. So the best way to do it so that we don't look like we care that much about them is make a big point 
and then saying, oh, you know, it, ha- it just so happens as I'm walking by, oh, there's a guy who happens to be doing that. <laughs> it's Jamie Kerchick. And then talking about, oh, he did this and this and this. But I don't really have that much time for him. So I'm going to keep walking on and making a much bigger point because otherwise we all look bad that we take him too seriously. And I was like, how do you even have the mind that thinks like that? You know, like if you're going to take somebody down, do it and move on. Um, but that really meant – so tonally is not just like don't say fuck. Um, tonally is sort of how you think, um, about these things. And I don't have, I don't think that way. So that was, that was really tough. And I, 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 um, like I beat myself up way too much trying to both, uh, trying to find a way to both, um, have enough of that sensibility so that I could make money because I didn't have any money when I came back. Um, uh, and not like, lose who I am and I was losing who I was just by being here and being in this different life and it was really really it was a big giant mind fuck and then the next thing that happened when I started writing for Playboy you know that was with you Yasha um, and they, they're like yeah we want to really you know the new editor really wants to get uh, bring back Playboy's reputation which is true again in the 70s it had this great reputation as like a writer's magazine as a journalist magazine they would of course have you know the the naked woman but it was they, it was really important actually at that time to have new journalism you know the tom wolf hunter thompson um uh i don't know who, who else you know uh, anyway a lot of yeah. big name people wrote for them then um and they supposedly wanted to get back to that and Yasha and I wound up getting actually what what turned out to be the scoop of the 2010s. You know, this is the most the Obama era, man. It's like yeah, the scoop of the Obama era, definitely. And uh, which was that because we watched the Tea Party, we were watching these things because we had learned from you know Russia experience to like not take seriously, you know, these like fake political movements, and they're funny. And we always kept an eye on the right. And I think you and I both separately were watching this. And then we both separately came to each other. Like, have you seen this tea party thing through Drudge? You know, yeah. it's so fake looking and let's look into it. And then you and I both looked at it through different angles. We both came to the same conclusions and with yep. different names. And I'm, yeah. And I, yeah. yeah. And then, yeah. And then I started sort of looking at the domain registration exactly. information and then it just all kind of came together. And, yeah. and confirmed our, our our suspicion. Yeah, what no, is I, the main registration? Straight I, to the Coke brothers. I remember just no, because yeah, I remember even the Coke operatives. Yeah, basically because there's like all these tea party. So there's this, you know, there was all these tea parties all around the country. Supposedly, sort of were like were inspired by this, you know, this sort of rant on MSNBC on CNBC by to Nick like Santelli. start like a revolt against yeah. basically Obama Obama and his policies of like bailing out. Obama you know, was going to do some kind of so – he was thinking of, and he probably was never going to do it anyway. He was thinking <laughs> of doing some kind of relief for homeowners who were swamped, whose mortgages they couldn't – you know, they couldn't afford the mortgages because of the whole subprime scandal. Well, you know, underwater. They were underwater. They were underwater. There was gonna and, be, it was going to help basically because a lot of people bought at the peak of the market – yeah, their houses. Or they so bought they, arms. Uh, they bought the yeah. adjustable rate mortgages. Exactly, and so they right. had like they, their house was not worth like let's say you know five hundred thousand dollars, but they bought it when it was worth nine hundred thousand or eight hundred thousand right. or something like that. So they were three hundred. They they but they owed the, the the loan on like the more expensive house, but their house wasn't even worth that much. So they were like. You know, and so Obama wanted to, you know, give them some relief where that was the idea, you know, being kicked around so that they would basically stay in their houses, right? And not, mm-hmm. de- and not foreclose, not default, right? On, on, on mm-hmm. their mortgages. And so like, 
And it was like just the, that program, you know, so you could bail out, you know, Bush bailed out the bankers and, uh, but like for Obama to kind of help people stay in their the homes a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Like who got fucked, who got fucked by the, by Wall Street, you know, like yeah. that brought this, you know, kind of big reaction from, from, you know, uh, from the right. And they, 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 they clearly, you know, strategized to use that as a way of attacking him, you know, as a way of kind of undermining him and going after him. And so there was this whole thing that came up and we saw it. It was on TV. It was on Drudge Report. Yeah. And we just, we were like, you know, basically having conversations over. Well, and, and we were so weirded out how Santelli's rant became a thing, but it was yeah. so clear that it was being boosted by media watching Drudge. Like it wasn't organic. No. It was yeah. like, uh, it didn't look organic to us. So when we looked at all these Tea Party sites, like we've been inspired by Rick Santelli to do a Tea Party. And then you looked at the domains and they were called, you know, Tea Party domains set up by a Republican set months like, earlier yeah. in they Chicago. Be, they could all be was. traced back to several yeah. different yeah, operatives. Yeah. Operatives in Chicago where Santelli was. Too. Exactly. exactly. Uh, and so, and so, you know, then we found out about the Koch brothers who we'd never heard of before. And how they were, you know, they played a central role in this whole Tea Party thing. And we wrote it together. I asked, I told the, my editor, and he's like, this is awesome. This is great. This will be a great launch for your column. And, um, you know, we wrote it in <laughs> a bit more of an exile style because that's what they said they wanted. And published it, and it caused a shitstorm. It was really like Santelli was supposed to go on um, John Stewart's show yeah. a couple of days later. And we published our piece and it created this. I had no, I did not expect this because I thought at that time, the first tea party were very tiny little protests, only people from think tanks. It didn't turn big yet. It was no. just like some people from Freedom House and some whatever Coke little libertarian, you know, institute here and there. There were like 20 people in Santa Monica with tea bags on their hats. Like yeah. Everybody was a Republican operative. Yeah. And they came clear, out yeah, yeah. for the cameras, right? I don't think anybody yet expected it to get so no, big. No, And so we didn't expect our story to have an impact either. And um, then we just started getting attacked uh, in the Atlantic Monthly by Megan McArdle. And then she had to, after attacking us and saying it wasn't true, she knew the Cokes personally and they were upright people. And everybody then back, you know, piggybacked on that. And they're like, you know, the Atlantic says it's not true. Then she had to uh, issue a caveat. Yes, it's true that my husband works for this court Coke organization, but that has nothing to do with it. And, uh, and somebody else from New York magazine, um, who I later met and who also like did that looking down on her nose, mocking it, said it's a conspiracy theory. And then she later backed up because our, you know, it was very quickly becoming clear that what we said was right. And I asked her many, many months later, um, I was like, why did you try and, you know, discredit that? Because everything we, we called it right. Like that's what journalism's supposed to do. And she said, yeah, you did, but you, you wrote it in the wrong style. When you have something that important, you shouldn't write it with any jokes in it or any kind of funny <laughs> commentary. It should be in the New York Times in a New York Times style. She literally said that. She was like a gawker type. That's crazy, yeah. And, you know, so, I mean, again, tone. Um, anyway, our piece got attacked so much. Well, the biggest problem was Playboy. Um, they didn't retract it, but they took it down. Yep. And my editor was, was so, you know, he was he was mortified. And he's like, they're taking it down. CNBC is threatening to sue Playboy. Playboy said, no way are we going to fight it. And he said, if I were you, I would not make a big stink of it. Because if you do... 
then I can just tell you that Playboy will cut you loose. Like we'll basically screw your credibility, you know, and say you, you did incredible. It. Yeah. And so we had to keep, yep. we had to keep quiet about what had happened. And then, you know, and, and then like over the weeks, as the weeks happened, Santelli actually had to cancel his appearance on Jon Stewart. And um, as the weeks turned in, you know, other liberals who stayed away from it because it was in Playboy started saying, hey, wait a minute, the Koch brothers are behind this tea party thing. But nobody would really credit us. Yep. And um, and I have to admit, it was such a mind fuck to me that this could happen because I hadn't dealt with this kind of stuff in journalism, like how corrupt and how um, pedigree based journalism is. Um, I mean, it was, I'll say, yeah, it I'll just s- fucked my mind. You know? I'll say this because, yeah. in a way, it was my first true um, lesson from how, how how American journalism works. I mean, it was kind of yeah. coming. You were in idealistic a, about it. Well, right? it was coming. Actually, there's there was something else that happened right around this time, a little bit later, but it just only confirmed it because I was, because you know, because I got I got into journalism by accident. You know, by first I was working with you know I just happened to like kind of reach out to to the exile when I was in I mean I read some exile a little bit when I was in college in in, in Berkeley but I never even considered that when I moved back to, when I moved to Russia for you know I wasn't sure how long I'd be there even that I'd like get a job there I'd never really wanted uh, journalism was not like a thing that I considered to be a you know a, a career or or something that you do <laughs> it was um and so but when I got in touch there with you, it is I, voice it's not it, a career it's not a career and I realized that it's not a career later on <laughs> it's yeah it's not <laughs> when I was right I was uh, I, I had the right idea when I was younger um you gotta go with your intuition um anyway I I so you know my, the, the first journalism that I did other than some like this the sort of stringer stuff that I did for for this Jewish uh, telegraph agency telegraphic agency <laughs> That was sort of like I don't know. It was almost like I kind of almost parodied the news the news style because right. I would like. I used to do that sometimes when I would dispatches write from like, like you know, Jewish communities the, around the yeah. former Soviet <laughs> Union that basically are none of um, like you know uh, none of them are actually Jewish. You know they're all lying. <laughs> um, there are no Jews left over in in Russia pretty much that uh, need help from American organizations. But anyway, it doesn't matter. Ivan po- Ivanovich, who also goes by the name Moisha, has <laughs> uh, said today that he's I mean, I think like if the Germans to reach his roots. If the if the Nazis rolled through and they like look at their records, they'd be like, "Oh, you're not Jewish enough to even to even care about <laughs> to you." Kill, <laughs> yeah. What is this like one one sixteenth? Like, we get out of here, you know? Yeah. Um, we're not gonna waste the Zyklon B on you. Um, uh, there's too little Jew in you. Um, and so, <laughs> and so, so my 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 only real journalism, you know, my first journalism was with Exile, and it's you know, as I you know understood even at the time, you know, it was a very specific, it was a very unique kind of journalism that you wouldn't you couldn't find anywhere else really. You know, it uh, there was no, you just kind of did what you wanted to do. There was there was no there was no controls. You you kind of just let you know you, you and and the, it. it it was a very unique way of uh, reporting on on the world, and, um, and so when I started to kind of do some mainstream stuff, you know, like the freelance, I tried to freelance for Time Magazine once, and they like totally like looked at my what I turned in, and they like kept like a paragraph or something from it, and mm-hmm. the t- and attached it to like a story written by like three other journalists, <laughs> you know, like from like yeah. a big article that I did for them on the Georgia War. It was it was like I realized that oh wait a second something's not right here. Um, and then you know, and and so when I started really trying to get to, to journalism, I mean, it was it was you know it was it was in America when I came back here around the same time that you did, and and I'd say you know the Tea Party story was like the my first foray into not just sort of you know reporting on kind of fringe things, 
but getting into like this main national a main national story you know that was sort of mm-hmm. a story that was consuming uh, uh it was like it was national news essentially right mm-hmm. uh and so and the first story that i did in, in, of that kind i mean we got completely fucked by the, by our colleagues and by the mm-hmm. industry and the idea yeah the the idealistic thing that you have about journalism was that you you know you, what you got to do is you got to get the scoop you know you got to get the scoop out there yeah. you just got to put the truth in front of the people and then you will be rewarded right <laughs> so like this kind of power. like this is this is <laughs> what this is what gets rewarded in journalism you 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 find like the story that helps democracy <laughs> you find the story that exposes these you know the sort of the, this kind of um uh you know a, a kind of a, a dangerous uh corrupt process to influence uh public opinion and, Sorry and to interrupt yeah. you, but like your russian experience and marx too d- didn't you know better in some way way like because in russia definitely not like that like no, I, sometimes yeah. you get a word most of the times you either get silenced or killed like why would america well, be well because i thought so that, i mean I, I don't know i didn't think about it too deeply at the time like but i, I thought that in america you know that this thing kind of works you know that like and this is how you get ahead in journalism. Like you get ahead by writing great stories that people read that cause like a scandal that changed something, right? Um, and then like you know your editors and, and publishers are like, oh, this guy you know is a great reporter. Uh, let's give him more assignments. Let's get him a job. You know, let's let's uh, let's increase his rate or whatever. You know, like let's that's that was because I thought it was a merit, mer- it was a meritocracy. You know? Wait, what about Gary? What the guy who killed himself? I- I, I mean, Webb. Gary Webb. Yeah. Gary Webb. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not even. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's like a whatever. I just that's like that's like you know, he's sort of the a, fr- a fringe case. But you know, generally, that's how I thought it was. And we weren't like it's not like I was trying to get a job at the you know at the New York Times or anything. But we were we're not we weren't like in a mainstream publication. This was Playboy. That's the know? thing. So I I mean, yeah. look, we at the Exile we trashed and got it and exposed and wrote about it, so on you know, Western hackery so much that I, I wouldn't say I had those illusions, but I did have, I still looking back had some illusions, I think to a certain degree, like it was one thing to deal with it more in abstract and in criticism. It's another thing to be actually like pushed uh, uh, into the guts mm-hmm. of the thing and to be yes. part of it and have to function within it. Right. And, but I, if I had a, um, uh, a, a sort of a semi naivete or whatever, or an expectation that was sort of where I was surprised. It's that I kind of thought, well, if you're going, if you're at least you're in kind of, I don't, I don't want to say the fringe because Playboy, if I was going to be a columnist there, it's not fringe, but it's more, mm-hmm. you know, uh, alter, you know, not mainstream, not, not totally mainstream, right? So the nation and Playboy that you would, um, that you would have, uh, somewhat more freedom and you would have people backing you up and you would be able to do things a little wilder and people meant it when they said we want things a bit different we like what you did at the exile we want some of that you know energy and voice and stuff like that <laughs> and and that you know i i was dumb enough to sort of believe that but i had no yeah. choice in a way because it's not like i could then switch off my you know all the sort of training for lack of a better word I've done at the exile and switch on my Bob Woodward, you know, tone and way of thinking. It wasn't like that. Yeah. And, and my experiences yeah. were, were bad. I mean, so, you know, my, my first big piece I did for the nation, it's still reverberating today. It was, it was the piece exposing um, basically Paul Manafort's companies, you know, uh, his consulting companies ties to the Kremlin through uh, like Deripaska and other stuff. So basically, uh-huh. but this was more about 
John McCain. And it was, a, it was a piece I worked on. It was myself and another guy who was a staffer who then, when I got all these great scoops on it, just basically tried to take the glory for it. It was pretty gr- I was kind of so shocked by it. Jesus. I didn't know somebody he tried would to take do all that. the, he tried to take all the credit. Yeah. He tried to take the credit. He, he edged in front of me to get on uh, MSNBC when I broke one thing. <laughs> and he's like, sorry, it's already arranged. You know, I hope you're not mad at me. And I was just like, I, I was so weirded out by these things. I didn't, I didn't know people. I just, you know, because I'd been insulated through the exile. So in some ways, you were kind of naive. Yeah, there was, a, yeah. there was a naive quality to it. That people right? were that because, gross, yeah. you know. Yeah. Right. And um, so there was that experience, and then there was stuff. I mean, I described it, but there were other stories, kind of like the Kerchik one. And my last piece for the Nation that I wrote before I actually decided, and and Playboy was kind of trying to woo me at that time. So I thought, okay, this would be a good time to stop the Nation for a while and go with Playboy. Um. I was asked, and I should say here, and I genuinely mean this, that um, at Playboy, at The Nation, Katrina Vanden Heuvel, for, you, you know, I have nothing but, like, affection and respect for her and for her late husband, Stephen Cohen. She she stood by me, whatever, like, you know, differences we ever had, like, stood by me more than anybody and has taken, you know, tons of shit for sticking their necks out. But I'm just going to be honest about some of my experiences there, too. And uh, some of them were very good. Um, I mean, the impact of that Manafort story was huge. And it's still to this day, you know, it got warped in the Trump era, got completely warped by other people. But um, it had a big impact. Or like when I just wrote a column piece for them about Larry Summers before Obama took office, Summers was initially going to be the Treasury Secretary. I was like, you got to be kidding me. And those of us who knew Russia were like, this is like a disaster. And so I wrote this piece for the nation about his real record in Russia and the Eastern Europe and so on. And what a disaster he had overseen. And, you know, and he, he did, he covered for Andre Schleifer and Jonathan Hay, who were actually convicted of fraud, of defrauding, you know, the U.S. government in Russia. And he covered for them. And when I published that piece, like, I know that there was a shitstorm from within Summer's own circle because it reached me through friends I know from, like, it was Larry to Larry's tight circle to tight circle to friends I know in DC <laughs> who then called me up within, you know, hours. And, and then it was announced that he wasn't going to be treasury secretary. You don't have that kind of impact when you wow, yeah. exile wow, that's, or something. It's pretty usually. incredible. Yeah. yeah no. Uh, and I don't think the nation would have that impact anymore either. Like media has, diffu- has no, it's, become it's a lot as, more diffuse, yeah. but it still kind of did then. And but um, because you, I had, you, no one would want that stuff brought up at the at a hearing at the congressional, you know, at the at the hearing uh, confirmation hearings, basically. Well, I just I don't think media yeah. has the same impact anymore because everybody yeah. now is purely tribe versus tribe, yes. and in fact. Media now is it's it's again it's more like Russia in the '90s in a sense. It's like um, when you want to bloody your opponent, you drop it in your media outlet of choice. Yeah, and everybody knows it, so people on the other side don't even listen to it. Don't have yeah. to. Um, and anyway, the nation since like Chris Hayes and stuff, and some of the others, the nation bait eventually later became kind of co opted into the the liberal democratic kind of machine. Yeah. To some degree. I don't think it's there as much now, but it was for a while. Um, and so I don't think they necessarily would have even done that then. And in fact, another story I wanted to do on Summers, corruption story, I had a good one about how um, he, he was overseeing stress tests for the banks, if you remember, in 2009. Yeah. While 
invest while he was um, invested in a shareholder of a company whose major shareholders were the banks he was stress testing. <laughs> and I couldn't get that published anywhere. Um, but anyway, uh, uh, the last piece in that period for the nation that I wanted to do, I was asked to look at Obama and, you know, and what he might do with Afghanistan. That was on a, a lot of people's minds, Obama supporters and liberal leftists and so on. Like they, they actually thought there was a really good chance he was not going to surge. And, um, despite what he was saying, I guess he was kind of coy about it or he let people believe that. And I went through the record. This is when I discovered how much and how sincerely the neocons who had been Bush supporters, um, a lot of them really supported Obama. And he gave speeches that gave them that sense of uh, like it was I think it was Robert Kagan said, this is the guy who's going to carry forward our vision <laughs> in a different way, but in a, in a in a better way, because it has to be rebooted and upgraded. And he is definitely, you know, and here's this speech that he gave where he said, um, you know, Iraq is the wrong war. What we need to do is really ramp it up in <laughs> Afghanistan and Pakistan, which is where the terrorists are. He was pretty open about it. I yeah. was really surprised. Yeah. He was quite open about it. But then Obama being, you know, slick Obama, he also would say things to the liberal, you know, the liberal people who he had no respect for, the progressives. Um, uh, he would say things that they wanted to hear, but yeah. to the serious people, he would tell them. So he was actually very open about it, that he was going to surge. He was going to, he was going to be a hawk on um, Afghanistan. And so I wrote that. I said, here's all the evidence. Like it's pretty damn clear what he's going to do. And I, I, this was not one of my, this was not like the tea party thing or, you know, that Russia's going to collapse or some of my better scoops. I think it was just, it was something that was obvious if you actually just went back to the record. Yeah. I, I didn't think this was even a big deal. And I, I got really negative, negative responses from my editors saying like, this is too, ne this is too negative. This just can't be like, we can't go with this. This, this basically. <laughs> Come on, man. What are you well, trying to do here? Yeah. You know, trying to bumming us out. And, and it's like, you're going to put us in conflict with them with, with the obama. obama people and obama like, hadn't yet become obama yeah exactly yeah Cause, yeah because this was january this this is as he was taking over and i had to say man that was like the final thing that knocked the wind out of me for that yeah i i, I just thought i'm having so many problems yeah thinking the way i normally think and trying to think a different way and not getting paid much at all getting paid i mean that's zero. the thing about yeah. left alt media no one pays you know and playboy was going to pay a bit better so i was like okay great playboy's going to pay better and um you know i'll do this story about the tea party which is a funny thing we thought it was funny yeah and 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 a quirky interesting thing all, all we said was that like people generally like journalists who have some more time on their hands should look into this a bit more i mean I that's basically our whole point is like these these guys look fucking shady and it doesn't look it ha doesn't have the feel of a grassroots uprising. It has the you know the, the feel yeah. of a of a of an astroturfed media operation, you know, political operation. And like and we're and, mocking and, and, it. And here and, like just a couple of paragraphs of examples, you know, and yeah. uh, of our, of our and it was just such a short 
It was a blog entry, basically. Exactly. You know? exactly. And, and and it was pretty funny. It's actually pretty funnily written. You know, I, 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 it I, I read it once in a while, and it's like very speedy. Yes. Very it funny. Should very aggressive. Yeah. <laughs> but but funny, and it doesn't actually make a very de- deep point, or it doesn't like That's claim so anything. Weird. Yeah. It's like and so and and it's incredible what a, I mean what a, what you know an what impact they, you it know had. what the, yeah. the people what who claim impact. to be uh, offended. Yeah. For, for journalism ethics reasons, their one thing that they hung it on was you said that uh, Santelli's like, first of all, we wrote it in a style where you can say things that are true without having, you know, it was a, written in a blog or, you know, for yes. I hate this word, but more gonzo style, right? A more exile yeah. style meant to be funny, meant to take some liberties, but also factual. And yes. And, and um, the thing that they really hung up on was there's no concrete evidence that Santelli's speech was the launch of a specific campaign event. You don't have a memo where, you know, John, <laughs> uh, consultant too, too called bad. Bill yeah, consultant we, said, okay, this is the, you know, this is the campaign, uh, we didn't, hack, event. We didn't hack their fucking yeah. accounts, you know? Yeah. It was so, it was so yeah. ridiculous and dishonest, but you know, what we found out later, talk about corruption. Yes. Was that the editor for Playboy at that time, I found this out uh, through somebody years. It was like a year later. Um, I was at Vanity Fair writing, doing some stuff for Vanity Fair. And I found out from a guy there, <clears throat> an editor, um, that the editor for Playboy, his first cousin, who everybody knew he was like totally tight with, he was a political operator in D.C. And he was the main political operator uh, organizing the Tea Party. <laughs> And what I held fucking, on to that. And I, I, yeah. yeah. And I, so I pitched, so I was like, Hey, there's something to this. I pitched it to Columbia journalism review editor there. He was interested and he's like, get some more detail on that. So I went to DC. I met with a top person from media matters, you know, that democratic party thing. And I just asked, I talked about what happened with playboy a bit. And, and, and at this point, I think Jane Mayer, had already come out with her article in the New Yorker about how the Cokes were behind the tea party. And so people talked about us and they weren't ever sure how to deal with us. Plus we would go on MSNBC and talk about it with Dylan Radigan. So it was like at this point, some people would say, yeah, well, I guess they did kind of get the scoop, but others didn't want to acknowledge it. And anyway, (laughs) I talked to some people in DC there and brought up this story about the Playboy editor who took down our piece and how his first cousin was um you know the the guy who actually launched the tea party and this guy said oh yeah and he said his name i can't remember his name i'd have to go through all his notes it's like yeah of course everybody knows him and he's the guy who did the tea party and he's the one that wrote and was published in playboy mm-hmm. like three or four months after our piece was taken down this piece about the tea party it's like the first rule about tea party is no one mentions the tea party it's actually the second it's fun- rule yeah. is <laughs> No, it's funny. It's like this. Yeah, it's this anonymous. He wrote it, you know, yeah, anonymously, anonymous, and it's like right. the like the, it's um, the editor's first cousin and his editor's first party. cousin, and it's like the uh, uh, confessions of like a Tea Party operative, yes, basically. Yes, yes. And he t- and it's all about how he's sitting in some operative. bar in in DC yes. and like. Talking, you know, meet, having these clandestine meetings over yep. whiskey with all these like different DC people and trying to get them on board on this like <laughs> astroturf fighting operation. the system. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah we were taking For on the, the cokes. System. Yeah, yeah, and it was just so, so it's- fucking corrupt and just so, and, and it's not like you tell people, you know, you tell people that Russian media was corrupt or. Even that somebody out in Russia in Western media might have done something corrupt, and that would be a big deal. And you tell people in America, and it's just like rolling yeah. their eyes, and it's sort of 
have a cow, man. Yeah. You know, don't have a cow, whatever. You know, you're just, it's basically it's just, like, it's just your, it's just your point of view. It's your, your point yeah. of view. You know, it's so, your opinion, bro. Just like your opinion. It's your opinion man. Yeah. And, but they, they actually don't care because, yeah. um, I don't know. They're just more into like, they care when, when the people with the right pedigree in their tribe care. Yeah. They care. And it's really it. It's uh, so it's sort but, of yeah. it's it's gets into the culture of the people that go into media, which is larger than journalism, just the media world, and it's um, it's 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 just pretty fucking rotten head to toe. You know, I think because Jenny from from a slightly different perspective, but you know, I think because she's you know. Uh, she's been, you know, that she's made that great, great satirical film, uh, Change Maker, yes. uh, about, you know, the documentary in the film that. industry. Yes, and, and, but like, I think you have a really good insight into just, you know, the kind of wh- why people go into documentaries, you know, but I think it's larger. The, you go into media and journalism, it's sort of the whole umbrella is that it's like a society, society thing. Society, yeah. yeah. That's what Jenny says. It's like people want to be part of this. It's like the modern, I don't know, version Debutante of ball. Like, yeah. You're like really a kind of court film. or something, you know, where <laughs> yeah. you want to be part of the it crowd of the it community right where you mm-hmm. go want to go to the you want to be in the salons you know in the yes. in the right salon that felt that way because i wanna, went to yes. sundance a few times and the so people hang around to sundance say exactly that so it's very in a right. very elitist world and then people who yep. aren't elite want to join it um uh, yep. really badly and yep. um and and then of course they become even more you know like you know like uh, exaggerated versions too, of yeah. the people they want to join either like the they're so zealous about you know maintaining their little privilege and, and do yep. guarding the little tribe um and a yeah, lot of no. them come from you know yeah they a lot of them come from that really super wealthy elite yes world but those who don't they just want to join they so just yeah. want to roll join with it, it exactly. it feels like and there's a lot of that in media in in journalism and media yeah. Too. yeah but but you know i actually have, have this question i don't know if it's I can articulate it well, but basically, you know, you talk about not just the corruption of like American journalism that you discovered only when you really just uh, came back from Russia, but also like the stiffness of tone that is expected. Uh, but do, do you think actually here it's kind of weird despite, okay, there was gonzo and tradition of that, but generally sort of journalism and let's say fiction is so separate. So if you want to be a bit more like free <laughs> with sort of like jokes and whatnot, like um, different type of styles of writing people can expect you to just um basically put um i don't know write books and put like novel on that it's a novel or something like this on top of the fiction. fiction like yeah. say it's this is fiction and then you can write whatever you want and and it's judged completely differently um so and when you do journalism in america it's it's again it's, it is very rigid as you describe from your own experience yeah the written word well the printed word in this country uh, as a general rule, I think is very conservative and, and the keepers of it are like come from a particular class again, like they, if what's left of the publishing world, the layer of editors and stuff. I mean, so I, I think, I don't think there's much freedom at all to, to do like comic fiction I either. Mean, you could do it, mean, put it out uh-huh. on your own or something, but you're not right. probably find a publisher. It's the, the, the gatekeepers, whatever you call it. They're just, it's just, geared for a totally different culture i i would think that you know hollywood you know cartoons and film and and stuff would have more freedom except that there's so much money at stake that that's the limitation there so it's sort of 
you know, like what South do you do Bart ma- can do it. Can. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, all kinds of cartoons. Well, Bart Davis yeah. and Butthead or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, um, uh, you know, even Simpsons and just, yeah. like, there's a lot of, there's just a lot of like wild freedoms, uh, and like license you could take there to some degree. And, and, you know, there are genres. I mean, right. Sci-fi fantasy, although even that is, it's funny. It's degree. getting like Soviet Union here because yeah. one of the Soviet <laughs> Union signature thing, people who know the culture there is that you could only write like almost like a sci-fi if you want to write about the <laughs> um, criticism yeah. of political structure or you, you like put people it in a fantasy, go, uh, fantasy realm, realm yeah. like, right. or I guess Strugatsky were kind of like that or yeah, or cartoons actually. <laughs> you could kind of do some cartoons with the <laughs> same subtext. Yeah. subtext. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So I know it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a bummer, but you know, um, or like children's are, books. Yeah. Children's yeah. books too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, um, it's again, it's not even just the stiff tone. It's the way of thinking. It's the ability to, um, to, uh, on a mammal level to have like, a, uh, a common understanding with the people, with the editorial class. I don't know, with the mm-hmm. editor class in all printed word. I think it's, and, and they are wherever you go, the editor class. I mean, they're, they have come from a very narrow background as a rule. And if they don't come right. from that background, they've been, you know, co-opted willingly into that mm-hmm. that background that culture so it's kind of a problem and there's always ways of making exceptions i mean what's funny is you know the exile had it i've only learned over the years after being here had a huge uh, you know a much larger cult audience in america than i would have expected so there was a readership for the exile that was mm-hmm. pretty big but you'd never be able to do it from here and no one would even want it from here uh, you know what I mean? It's it's really weird. Cause it's because it's way. always it's like, what are you doing? Who are you here? Yeah, but you're there, so it's like you have an excuse or you have something exotic. So yeah. you don't. You, you the expectation already is all everything you're doing is something foreign and exotic, and so your rules are different. And also, you're like rules. the sensibilities that you're you're kind of you, you're you're not touching our little world, even if you're yeah. kind of making fun of it. You're like you ha- yeah. there's the safe distance, basically. Yes. That it, it's if you were to do that to people here, people would be so offended, you know, yeah. and people so be so outraged. And they, um, they'd be outraged in the way that you just get ignored. Yeah. No, and you know, you'd be bla- is, you'd be branded it. like some kind of you'd be you know you'd basically be kind of canceled, you know, in the early waves. You should be ignored because mm-hmm. you're just. Offensive or juvenile yeah. or, um, you, you know, raci- racist or sexist I mean, or whatever it is that they yeah. you know, label. Yeah. And you wouldn't be able to make money. Uh, yeah. You know, no, exactly. And that's the other thing money. you need to live here. So, yeah. which is expensive. And so you either have come from money and you can just use your, you know, uh, f- you know, family money or something to do it. But if you, if you actually need to make a living and, you know, pay, well, you pay need to go way. viral with things. Well, but right? you, yeah. But then that was, you couldn't really do it back then because you couldn't right. make money it didn't off exist of it. You know, before. Yeah. It's like the, the viral stuff is, I mean, that's funny. If, if there was something like Patreon in 2008, we might have been able to yeah. come back and we just all, create yeah. an exile here, you know. But, no, yeah, and we yeah. we all we were able to get people, you know, people pe- people did pay through pay, uh, through PayPal and stuff like they we had like yeah. an early subscription thing where people just donated, you know, on a recurring basis. But yeah, it never and we were able to raise money off the Shame Project, you know. So right. we were beginning those things, but it wasn't it was not systemic. It wasn't systemized. Yeah, yeah. It was just we tried. I mean, God knows yeah. we tried so many different ways. And, yeah. Uh, no, you know, it's and it really it, it just is like. 
it wasn't until Paul. Uh, um, I would like to, you know, I would like to say though, you know, just because you know, you people think that you know the exile was like, oh, you can do whatever you want. It's like, no, mm-hmm. you know, when I came to the exile, I wanted to write a New York, you know, uh, New York, uh, New Yorker style. You know, I wanted to bring a you know a more uh, you know fine sensibility to this. Mark Ames would you know would be like, no, this is not the way we do things around here. What and was he, your fine sensibility? If you're not, if you're not offending censored. people, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, that's funny because that guy VJ Mashwari, uh, who he had, a, he had a piece somewhere about him in the Putin years or something. We we created one of our many club characters based on him. And he did, he did try to pitch to me a New Yorker style, um, about town or whatever one of those stupid New Yorker columns is. Like he so badly wanted to be, um, <laughs> a New Yorker. Funny. There were so many people who just wanted to be New Yorker style, right? Keith Gusson came to me. I remember this is when I had, when I was doing living here, the, the brief predecessor to the exile. And he was like just out of co- college or maybe in college. And he, he had this very smug look on his face and. <laughs> It's like asking me about Lamanov or something. And he's like, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to write like book reviews, but about classics, <laughs> you know? And, and he kind of looked at me like, I'm doing you this huge favor. And, you know, I don't really need to explain to you why it's going to be so great. Cause it's pretty obvious. It's going to be great. I, I was like, I had no idea who the hell he was. And I was just, I just was kind of to, for the f- skeezed out by my, that one meeting I ever had with Keith Guess. And I was That's, like, okay. You know, it's funny how all these, all these Russia people. experts, you know, all, so many of them kind of went and like had, had to kiss the ring in a way, you know, the exile <laughs> ring and like, and, 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 Praise you, and, and then they kick the dog. And then, as soon as they like came out here and went mainstream, they had to like pretend wow. like you're the worst person in the I've universe. I've never been more. I know. I love Julia Yaffe. That's just... <laughs> fucking disgusting. I'm still traumatized by Mark Games. See, style. this is what. I, but this is what I mean. The Exile was such a like you know authoritarian, dictatorial <laughs> publication that you had to basically, if you wanted to make it in, in Moscow yes. as as a Western journalist, you kind of had to kiss the ring. You know, <laughs> you, yes. that's how Wait, much yeah, power I think it had. Used to have a ring. <laughs> whatever you know, whatever you had there, like some yeah, maybe you had a ring or like it was like a. I don't know what you'd have like a like a ponchik or something, you know, that, you'd have to, that they had to kiss. You know? Wait a second. Well, we didn't get we didn't we don't have time to get in there. But living there was just existed only for a few years, right? Or even no, less, it was like, right? Was it even a year? I can't remember now. Maybe it was like ten months or eight months or something. I can't remember how long mm-hmm. it lasted. It was it was meant to be a um, a real estate uh, paper. I I actually found a few pieces from it in my scrapbook and I have to say I was pretty horrified. I was like, Oh, that's not too good. I, I, I did a couple of <laughs> funny things, but I, you know, I uh, am responsible for some other stuff that was pretty bad. Um, some of it was good. Like Owen Matthews and I wrote the, um, he was really good. The bar and club reviews, which became the basis for what we did with the exile. Um, some of it was just, uh, you know, when you do juvenile humor, um, as Spinal Tap would say, you know, it's a fine line between clever and stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Some of it was really stupid. But uh, it it was meant to be a um, a real estate paper because it was backed by this by this like drunken Dutch dude from the Moscow Times uh, who was like a a good designer and his girlfriend who was a real estate. uh, She was like making money in real estate. And I, and they're like, and and he came to me once he goes, yeah, I saw your your article in Moscow Times. Got a lot of people very upset. And, you know, <laughs> why don't you do more like that? We'll get some readers. Yeah, and, uh, 
And so I, I wrote funny column pieces for them. And, um, um, but anyway, that, that fell apart. And then that was when I started the exile. Got it. But yeah, but anyway, but do you feel like now when you've had some years to adjust to living in America, are you like, did you come to terms with it? Or do you still think it's a horrible, <laughs> horrible puritanical? I, I, no, I'd say, I'd say it's still pretty horrible. But um, I mean, you know, you get used to human beings like mammals, you know, or primates by design, we're, we're designed to adapt get, yeah, to adapt to jail, to slavery, to all kinds of things. And this is, you know, not as bad as jail or slavery, um, <laughs> um, but uh, it's, you know, it's still pretty terrifying and horrifying. Some revisionist historians say that slavery was actually kind of a good, a good deal, you know, for the, you didn't yeah. have to yeah. fan for food. Yeah. So, yeah. so be careful. Right. Yeah. It yeah. was a favor, right? It was a favor. They colonialism, were... you know, they brought them train stations. They gave them job, you know, it was job creation, you know? Yeah. yeah. Just, yeah. Um, no, no, so yeah. like it's, yeah. uh, but you know, yeah. So I think you know, you just learn to adapt after a while. And um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's say. pretty hard. I mean, I, I imagine like you know, we probably should end soon. Uh, we had we kept you long for, for a long time. But it's funny how we kind of almost didn't get there anything. But um, <laughs> um, we talked a lot about transportation. <laughs> you tricked <laughs> us. <laughs> um, exactly. Yeah. No. But just oh shit. Now I forgot what I wanted to say. Uh, about it adjusting to America yeah, adjusting, when you adjusting, come back. Um, adjusting. Oh yeah, well, just that, like, well, you know, because you moved from Moscow to New York City too, which is like the center of the of the media world, yeah, and a kind of a miserable and very expensive place. And um, like, I don't know, uh, moving somewhere else would have been better. Like, I, I thought later, like New York City killed me. Yeah, I left and went to stay at a friend's house in Hawaii, and I moved to DC, and like, that was my just you know, lowest of low points, straight up suicidal. And, um, and, um, you know, and then things got better when Paul Carr started up NSFW. Yeah. At least we started making money and we're able to put out what we wanted to put out with a, with a um, sympathetic editor who paid us money that we could live on. Yeah. It was great. Um, damn shame. It didn't last longer that in Pando. And, you know, they, yeah. they, they backed up and we did, we did the things that we liked. We did, you know, comic stuff and we did real hard, good journalism. Yeah. And it was, it was great. But this country, there's just, you know, the thing about journalism and just most of the values of this country, the ruling class, I mean, and everybody else, it's just homilies, you know, they just mouth homilies for the faithful and you have to mouth them back to show that you're part of the faithful, that they value investigative journalism, that journalism is important as a check and balance and democracy watchdog, yada, yada, yada. And everybody should know that it's complete bullshit. But if you, if you acknowledge it too much that it's bullshit and you don't go along with it, well then you're just like not going to be, yeah, not going to be part of it. But, and it's almost like one of my views on journalism is, in a sense, the glory years of investigative journalism in the 70s, you know, and it was by comparison to any other in my my lifetime, it definitely was better from a journalist from the you know point of view. I mean, they really did fight power. If everybody got the idea briefly, you should actually fight and expose power. Um, 
And they did and, you know, blew up in a lot of stories and it had consequences. I mean, Nixon resigned, you know, church committee, like all, all these reforms of the intelligence community. Um, there were briefly laws to rein in like the FBI and wars and all this. Kind I mean, of the shit. only yeah, the only in terms of even the Internet and electronic data and stuff like that, the only privacy laws that were passed in this country were back from back then, you know, right, the, right. The predated the Internet, basically. Yeah. Yeah. But but in a way, like the the journalism world, I, it, it's weird, like. um in the 80s, when when Reagan led the whole backlash to that, um, people didn't really want to talk about 70s, anything about the 70s uh, at all. Like if they were getting ironic about every, anything by the late 80s, it was sort of the 60s. They would sort of talk about They didn't want to talk about the 70s. It was mm -hmm. a real – it wasn't until like the 90s or later, you know, they started really talking about the, the real painful gut-wrenching stuff that came out in the 70s. Um, and um, the journalism world, though, has been like all these all these hacks, all these like well-born, pedigreed, preppy, dressed, you know, fucking suck up hacks still trade off of the value that was added into journalism from the 70s. Shit they would never do. Like they compare, you know, they compare themselves exposing um exposing the pentagon's enemies crimes or like you know yelling back at trump they compared what that it, that was to what went on in the 70s and i mean all all the sort of the value when people are sort of shamed into into respecting journalism it all has to do with what they exposed in the seventies, really yeah. all the stuff that was done in the seventies. No one does that stuff anymore. Nobody can do that stuff really anymore. And even if you do do it, the rest of society doesn't give a shit. You know, as you said, like, I mean, Snowden's leaks were probably the last big, yeah. uh, real leak story. Last big leak and didn't lead to anything. Or do you remember even like the, you know, the Pen uh, Panama papers, you know, the, the other, like really, exactly. you know, big, like it, it, it led to nothing. Would, you know what the only thing people remember from that is what it what it revealed about Russians and Russian Putin. oligarchs are bad. Exactly, yeah, like, Russian yeah, yeah, oligarchs yeah. are bad. Putin has uh, a cellist who hides his money or something. You know, uh, <laughs> he, he, like, like he keeps his it. money in, in the cello case. You know, it's yeah, it's it's a yeah. So it's it a big, it's a big cello case. Doesn't lead, yeah. It doesn't no. lead to anything. No. And um, it just feeds. It's like it's like the it's again. It's like just feeds the the. I don't know. It's it, everything is trapped within these bubbles, and so it actually leads because the whole system, political system is so paralyzed, and and there's like no actual, you know, it's funny. There's no like popular popular organization. It's sort of outside of the establishment, you know, system, and there's and then the established system itself is paralyzed. So you just have these inflating media bubbles that like sort of create constant scandal, but yeah. that scandal is always contained within yeah. the media bubble, right? Yeah. Um, and it, so it's almost like, yeah, it's virtualized. It's almost like it's, you know, like it could be, you could be going to the movie theaters and watching this stuff, right? It's like, because yeah. it doesn't bleed over into, into actually material. You know, we, we actually talked about this when I was on your show a few weeks ago. You know, it just does, you, you made that point, which is that it doesn't, none of this stuff bleeds over into any kind of material. You know, it doesn't make people's lives better in any way. I mean, there was an article, uh, there was an expose that came out. Um, now I can't even remember who did it initially. Um, earlier this year about a huge new CIA 
illegal, warrantless spying program, domestic spying program on Americans. And it didn't even get traction like in the way that, you know, I don't know, some other scoops got at least traction for a few days. I, I, I bookmarked it even uh, like, so I have that story and you know, the fact that I can't even remember any of the details except for the, <laughs> exactly, the headline and like the first paragraph, like this is the kind of thing that would have been a big deal and would have led to hearings or something. And it yeah. just, it's not. And in fact, in a weird way, because you know, part of it also is that the internet also inundates you with so many scandals yeah. and it's everybody competing hard to get their scandal to the top. And then when you do get your scandal to the top, then you have to fight off every other scandal nipping at your heels exactly. to keep no. it there and you never can. And so the next scandal comes up and people get, you know, exhausted yeah. from it. And the system itself, as you said, is so it's so like mired in inertia and stagnation. Yeah. You can't really, you know, do much about it. And so I mean, it's, you know, it's pretty yeah. grim. Yeah. We talk about this with with Jenny, you know, quite a bit, is that like you know, it's this, you know, the slogan is no information, no, no information without organization, you know, like uh-huh. you like, you almost don't, you're like, cause you don't you, you, know the things. point of yeah. journalism, you know, in the sort of, in the sort of, you know, in the kind of the, the, you know, like a text, the most, um, textbook democracy. Yeah. Kind of like in, in how it should work is that you have a democracy and you have like people who need information and need to make informed decisions about the world and, mm-hmm. and, and, and like, so they can participate in this democracy, right? That's why you have journalism, you know, it, that ha- it has that, you know, actual function so that it actually can, you know, be used to inform people in a democratic society, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you don't have a democratic society, when there's no organization, democratic organization whatsoever, it doesn't matter how much information you have or how much, you know, new well, exposés come to people don't even care about participating. Yeah, like there's I there's know. actually not even a structure that can don't use it to change. Don't even know how to participate, let's be honest. Exactly, and, and exactly. there's no structure, to. there's no organization. There's no, so the populists, yeah. you know, everyone points to the populists as having kind of maybe the last... You know, where they had newspapers, but they actually had a whole, you know, reason behind for those newspapers. They were yeah. actually using them to organize and to form their, poli- you know, kind of f- in- to inform their own. Um, to crawl out of debt peonage. Yes, like, yeah, to, to improve to. their lives yeah. and try to yeah. change society so that it works for them, right? Yeah. That, that was the idea. And so, and there's nothing like that now at all. No. And, you know, even like, you know, I was talking to a union guy and like even unions don't even fund journalism anymore, but, you know, because you think crazy. that that would be the only. To. They yeah. used to, yeah. So, so it's like that's what I'm saying. It's like there's so much information. It's like you want to actually have a moratorium of information until you have organization. You know, it's like yeah, yeah. until you organize and politically and, and can do something with that organization. But yeah, it's pretty grim. And ultimately, it's it's like yeah, journalism has becomes just entertainment, purely entertainment with nothing else in it. You so know, better yeah. than do just entertainment. Better go into entertainment. <laughs> no, really, it's true. I mean, I feel like. Um, the best thing you can do, I, I have, I, I don't have the urge that I used to have to, I don't know, expose some big story. I used no, to yeah. have that because it, it's seems almost like a joke, right? Exactly. I don't know if people still have that. I mean, I guess people who think that the Twitter files or, you know, Trump Russia were big deals that for them, you know, this is still a huge deal. Uh, I mean, if, if there's a, I'm not saying I'm like, I'm against, I'm not against it. I'm just saying I, I don't have that deep urge. I don't believe it means a whole lot. What does mean to me a lot still, or could mean to me a lot is, is telling interesting stories. And that to me, that still does interest me. So I, you know, how far is that from entertainment? I don't know. Like, well, I think telling good, interesting stories that have relevance. I mean, I'm still very interested as hell in politics. Yeah. And history and stuff. It's just, um, 
it's just that that sort of structure yeah. that meant something all those years when I was younger. It's it's just uh it's a fucking lie, and you have to recognize that it. You know, I, Alexander Coburn had this some great lines about journalism. He saw it then as it was deteriorating badly in the eighties and nineties from the seventies because he started out here in the seventies and. Um, you know, uh, it was something effective. Um, you notice how many prizes journalists give out to each other and how many prizes they boast mm-hmm. in their biographies. There's like, <laughs> no, do doctors say, you know, I'm the winner of this prize and that prize. <laughs> you know, when you go to a doctor, like, I mean, they have their, they just have their, their diploma up or something, but they don't have to give each other prizes every year for best, you know, this little category. It's and, most and it's very, yeah, most, yeah. most, at least people died under my knife. Yeah, like, <laughs> I mean, good. It's very, you know, talk about Soviet, right? I mean, we always yeah. mock yeah. the Soviets for giving out medals prizes and, yeah. yeah and prizes literary prizes and but like he's like you know think about it the the uh, a profession that needs and there are way more prizes now than when he gave them out than when he was talking about them then then there was national this and you know pulitzer and so on but nowadays you know it's morrow and stone if stone and Hugh and this and that. I mean, there's so many prizes, and they all have to have their prizes that they show to each other for their pedigree. And it's like, well, what do you, you know, what do you need prizes for? What, what, like a prize is not something. It, it what, what does it say that well, you even have to have prizes or that you show them off? It's well, so it's society. Weird. It's like you know, it's like this. It's it's they're part but of the society. Labs is actually impressed with just hearing the word Pulitzer winner, blah blah blah. I think. People outside of the society yeah. structures also like value that because it is if it tells them something, yeah, which it doesn't. It, it, yeah, it's pedigree, it's pedigree of society. Yeah, and yeah. it's sort of like you know you'd want the you know like if you were like at a ball or something, you know you'd want you want to have that medal that the tsar you know gave to you and that you're like, <laughs> right. um, you know they'd have like different or different types of. Um, um, what would you call them? Like ordin, 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 um that you'd get like from the from the. From the Tsar and yeah, the I mean, order of Putin. Uh, the, the order so, of Putin. This is like yeah. the order of Pulitzer. Well, order of I Pulitzer, mean, and then you can, you know, and then when you're at the ball, and then you and then you, you, you know, debutante, debutante journalist comes out, and they can all like look at all the medals that everyone's wearing and think, oh, one, one day, day I'll, <laughs> I'll get all the medals myself. Yes, and everyone will look at me with with with, with the envy that I have for them now. You know, yeah, yeah. It's pretty um, gross. It's pretty disgusting. Yeah. Um, you know, it's probably a good a good place to end. Uh, yeah. It's funny how anyway, uh, end it on gross on a gross theme on a gross exactly. Theme. But yeah. I, I, you know, I, everyone should you know if if you don't subscribe already, you should definitely check out Mark. And, and John Dolan's um, uh, podcast, you know, Radio Warner, because it is one of those things that's actually okay. Journalism might be dead, but you know, like self education and education and, and and kind of understanding the world that you live in, it's 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 like you know, it's probably more important now than it's as important, and maybe if not more important. So you, you do a really good job at at, at 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 like yeah, it's, it's like, like it's private like, it's, university. It's and it's accessible you to need, people. It's you need great. to have an award uh, assigned to you somehow, you know, so people understand. <laughs> well, you know, we wanted like, to do. I know, like the order of of Subotai or the order <laughs> of like Sherman or something. Exactly. But no. um, yeah, you need to get accredited. Um, <laughs> as a private, I was actually going to try and do university. that once yeah. uh, when I lived. I used to live in Long Island City across. Like, you know, you take the train, you'd be right at the UN building. And um, Alex Zaitrick said, oh, it's really easy to get accredited there. And you can go and just hang out. And I was like, I was going to try and get a Radio Warner <laughs> accreditation at the UN building. Like, excuse me, sir, sir, excuse me. 
what do you have to say about the bombing? You know, this is Radio Warner here. But uh, yeah, I didn't get around to it, sadly. <laughs> yeah, well. Did well, I lose I Yasha? No, I'm here. I'm here. Oh, okay. um, I guess it's a good note. Yeah, all right. Well, I think we got it. We have to end, end here because uh, our, our daughter is back from uh, from the playground, and so <laughs> you know, it's the, it's, the, it's, the, it's this is the this is the final cutoff. You know, no more, no more. All right, Mark. All right. Thanks. Well, for, it's always thanks a pleasure talking us. with you. Yeah, Yasha thanks for joining us. And, and yeah. it was always Thank a pleasure. You. Yeah. All right. Thanks, guys. Have a good day. Bye. Thanks. You too. Bye bye. American boy, American boy, boy for always time.